Hey everybody, what's up? This is Joseph Coyne and welcome to the ACA Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the ASA Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Coyne. This is episode 41. To start with, I want to thank our sponsors, Val Performance. We're really lucky to partner with Val. They're super company, super products. They make the Nord board, the groin bar. I actually think this has been renamed to the Force Frame, Human Track, and also Force Decks. I get to use Force Decks every day in my current role, and I can't recommend them highly enough. So user-friendly. Look, if you're in the market, please reach out to them. Even if you're interested in the products, want to know more about them, check them out. ValPerformance.com or shoot them an email, info at ValPerformance.com. Look, today we've got the first part of the 2019 roundtable. This roundtable is all about working in a semi-pro high school or university environment. Now, obviously what works in a professional environment might not work too well when you don't have all the resources that come with pro sport. And you also become really good at problem solving, become really nimble and agile with your thinking when you're in a semi-pro or academic environment. So for me, this means you might even come up with a better, more efficient solutions than when you're in this really resource-rich environment like pro sport is sometimes. So look, to get a taste of what actually works out there, we brought in three guests. The first one is Nicola Morris. She's an Australian strength and conditioning coach, works at High Performance Sport New Zealand now with the Rowers, which is one of New Zealand's heavyweight teams, formerly at Sydney University as a senior strength and conditioning coach, worked with multiple sports, swimming, athletics, rugby, water polo, soccer, you name it, she's probably worked with it. And the next person we've got is Kurt Vogel. Kurt Vogel is a private consultant for athletes and teams in a variety of sports out of out of uh, Southern Queensland. He actually works for the University of Southern Queensland as well in the Sport and Exercise Science Department. He's worked for over a decade in over 20 different sports from amateur to elite with the athletes in six different nations as well. So you name it, again, he's probably worked in, in that sport in that sort of semi-professional amateur environment. The last one is Sam Joseph. Now Sam's the strength and conditioning coordinator at St. Edmunds College, which is out in Ipswich. He's also the physical performance coach for the QUT Wildcats. Now, he holds a Master of Sports Science. He's level 2 ASCE coach. He's also worked with Vernon Manley Seagulls, Rugby League Football Club. Large, very large interest in skill area and developmental adolescent strength conditioning. So all of these three are experts in working in these academic or semi-pro environments. In this third pod- podcast, we talk strength and power training, what their philosophies are, how they assess strength and power, and then how they apply that to their training. We also talk about what they hope to implement implement in their practice of the next 12 months and where they're looking at developing themselves. So look, without further ado, let's get into it. Let's see what they have to say. Okay, ASCA podcast time. We've got the 2019 roundtable. I want to welcome Nicola Morris, Sam Joseph and Kurt Vogel to the call. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you for having us, yeah. Awesome. No, it's great to have you, have you all you guys and girls on. I, I need to put in girls there. Um, and we'll start with the girl. Nicola, can you tell us a little bit about your background, what you've been doing, where you're at now? So I have just changed jobs. I was previously working at Sydney University um, with quite a multitude of sports. So I was working with swimming, athletics, women's rugby, women's sevens, women's soccer, and men's water polo. And then now I've just transferred uh, over to New Zealand and I'm working for High Performance Sport New Zealand with their um, New Zealand rowing team. Cool, 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 cool. All right, Sam, what about yourself? 
yeah, so currently I'm the uh, strength conditioning coordinator at uh, St Edmunds College Ipswich, uh, so a private boys high school in uh, in Queensland. And I'm also the uh, performance coach for the QT Wildcats in the Queensland State League netball, which is called the Sapphire Series right now. Um, so yeah, more or less just been through, did uni, SNC was the way to go, it was much better than biomechanics. And so... And uh, just kind of landed here now in the middle and just doing some stuff with those teams. Yeah, right on, right on. And Kurt? Uh, I've been all around the place a little bit. Uh, I work at uh, University of Southern Queensland in Ipswich in the Sport and Exercise Science Department. Um, but coaching outside of that, I, I go across quite a few different sports. Uh, at the moment, I deal with five different sports. But I guess over my career, I've, I, th- I think I've tallied it up to about 27 different sports I've worked with. Um, and uh, most, uh, I guess, of those are around the semi-professional environment. So uh, at the moment, I'm working with uh, athletics, boxing, um, rugby league. Oh, wow. Athletics, boxing, rugby league, rowing. Uh, oh, there you go. Just four sports at the moment. Yeah, right. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So... I guess one of the big aims of this podcast is to help out people that that strength conditioners and coaches that aren't necessarily working at a really high level. Like we know what to do. The textbook tells us what to do when you're working with like a guy in a professional environment or you're working on a with an Olympian who's who's every four years they're going to the Olympics. But how do you kind of transpose that or translate that to to seeing a guy in a, in a semi-professional environment or a, a girl who's at university or a, or a, a high school student that's wanting to get better at sport, what things can you use and what things can't you use? So to start with, I want to I get into sort of strength and power and talk underlying philosophy of strength and power work, considering those environments. Um, and Nicola, if, if, if you can kick us off here and tell us what's your, sort of, what's your sort of go-to when you're thinking, how am I going to develop strength and power in the athletes that I've, that I've got? Um, I'm, I'm a bit all over the place considering uh, the amount of sports I was working with um, and strength and power is so important for majority of those sports but it is really dependent on the athletes you have in front of you and their levels and especially in the semi-pro developing environment you've got to take into the factors of what else they're doing. So you may have a rugby player who needs good strength and power, but if they've been working for eight hours doing trade work and they're already fried, whether frying their neural system right then is going to be the the number one goal for that day. So kind of got to just take into account all of those factors when you're working on really any of the um, elements of strength and conditioning, looking at at the players and the athletes you've got and then moving from there and, and trying to get the best out of them for their sport and, and the best transfer you can get. Yeah, sure. The struggle is real in those semi-professional environments. You've got guys working as labourers and they'll be, maybe they'll be getting up at six to go to work and then finishing at three and then like trying to fit in a gym session before their actual footy training or something like that. And Yeah, no, it's, a, it's definitely a challenging environment. Sam, what about yourself? Yeah, I've had a pretty uh, interesting way of looking at it. I know when I came into the role at Edmonds about three years ago, I uh, had come out of semi-pro and pro sport and thought, you know, I want to implement all these great ideas like load monitoring, stuff like that. Um, 
but and then I saw what I was working with and a lot of it was great, you know, 11, 12, 13 year olds and some maybe some higher end 16, 17 year olds and realized that I could, I need to make this program as simple as possible. And so more or less, I've kind of learned from there that I saw the cohort and so right, I've got to make this as easy as possible, as digestible as possible, but it just needs to be simple. I realized that with teenage boys, you could probably give them a banana, put that in their back and they'll probably start squatting a lot better if they do it a lot. Um, and so I realized it was just more about what movement patterns do they need? What do they need to know about? And just more or less, just let's just try and make them as strong as possible on as many planes as, as we can. So just going back to your basic squatting, lunging, hinging, pushing, pressing, um, and that's gone from there. And then so more or less the way the, the programs work up at Eddie's is they start learning how to do the basic stuff and then we just progress a bit more. So we start adding weight or changing the time. And then ultimately when they get higher, it's just, okay, are we applying this force faster? Are we applying this force for longer periods of time? Are we using more force, less force, whatever? And then it's just a manipulation of, okay, what do we need kind of thing? And these kids were just, if switch is a very interesting socioeconomic area as well, which I didn't realize uh, how bad it was. And a lot of these kids are coming in and just doing quarter squats could be tough. So I've kind of just realized, well, anything that gets them to move better and almost even a healthy outcome of, move, of being better with themselves is probably a good outcome. And then what I realized as well, adding that to maybe the higher level kids, um, it's just simply, okay, let's just overload that further. All right, how do we progress that squat to help them run faster in rugby? Or maybe they're a cricketer. Um, they need some more overhead strength and just kind of finding what they need and just giving them the movement to do it and making them the best athlete as possible. I think more or less that's probably my philosophy on just strength and power, just finding what they need and just, all right, this is what we're doing. Mm, cool. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, the, the whole improving somebody's self-worth just by actually moving a bit and, and moving better and, and things like that. That is a definite definite role that S&C coaches have to play with that and, and whether, it's, uh, whether it's a direct consideration when you're thinking about it or it's just something that happens indirectly it's it's a really cool part of the job uh kurt yeah 100 kurt t- tell us about uh tell us about your philosophy with strength and power uh well i pretty much take everything back to fundamentals so when i start working with a, a club or an athlete uh nearly all of them will actually have a very similar structure to begin with because i want to see how they move uh and then start moving under load and then from there i'll i'll modify it um, and a lot of times I'll use uh, RPE scales for the actual levels of intensity because they could be working, they could be studying. So how much energy they actually have on the day is relative to how much they can put in from there on in. So um, from the basic and fundamentals, I'll see from each person where they actually need to improve and then I can kind of individualise things a little bit uh, but still have an overall goal for the, the squad or the athlete at the time, um, depending if it's individual or team. And uh, and see where we go from there, really. So it's a, it's a lot about talking to the athlete and asking them how they're feeling, but then base it off how I see they move um, relative to what they or how they should be moving. Um, if that makes sense. So start fundamentally and then build up based on how they're feeling uh, per session. Yeah, cool. Cool. So you'll, you'll have the guys do a, give you a little RP of what their work was like or how they're feeling coming into the session. And then you'll adjust them um, from there. Is that correct? Oh, well, uh, similar. So instead of uh, getting the RP of how they're feeling when they come in, um, I'll still just ask how they're feeling 
I won't go to an RPE, but I'll tell them that their session for certain exercises is an RPE, so eight out of 10 for that exercise relative to how they're feeling today. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. And yeah, so a big theme is fundamentals, right? Um, I want to move next to how we assess strength and power. What, what do you do in this environment if you want to see, okay, how do we know what type of diagnostics are we going to get? Do we know if we need to do more strength work? Do we know if we need to do more power or speed work? What, what are you guys using out there? And we'll start with Nicola too, please. <laughs> um, so at Sydney Uni, uh, we... We use generally a three or a one RM. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have the funds for a force plate, which would have been amazing. However, we just we made do what we had. So um, the general test that I used for uh, most of my athletes was vertical jump, three single leg um, hop, for, uh, three hops for distance, uh, squat, clean, dead. Uh, and depending, that was if they're a team sport athlete, then um, bench and bench pull and chins. And if they aren't, we take out the upper body for the the runners. Cool. And then how how'd you use that? How how would you for the people listening there? How would you uh, fit those things together to decide what you needed to do with somebody? So for us, most of the time, it was it was part of our monitoring process to see if they were going in the right direction, if they were actually adapting to the training stimulus we were giving. Um, and then also with the horizontal and vertical uh, jumps, being able to see what, what focus we needed from then. And then the single leg hopping as well gave us a really good understanding of whether or not they had imbalances left to right um, and then what could cause injury from there. Um, so, yeah, that was basically what we use from there and then um we also had dependent on the sport uh we had standards of what we'd expect out of those athletes and if they weren't meeting the standards then we needed to have conversations or relook at what we were doing as well okay interesting interesting so just here's some questions for you with the uh with the jumping when you're deciding what to do you've got a horizontal emphasis and a vertical emphasis, right? What would be the what would be the sort of marker where you'd go, okay, I need to do more vertical jumping with this person or more horizontal jumping with this person? <laughs> um, a good example was uh, we did a massive focus on horizontal um, plyometrics in our my last phase with my athletics group before I moved jobs, and we didn't do very much vertical at all and every single one of them improved dramatically in their horizontal power and I think only two improved their verticals so that was a really good example of uh, when what we were trying to work on showed up in the testing um, but I probably neglected the the vertical a little bit much seeing that quite a few went backwards or were very stable in, in their vertical. Yeah, right. Is there a ratio you use or anything like that to decide if you need to do more horizontal or vertical uh, jumping with somebody? Um, not at this stage. We more look at individual um, and and where they're going and how they're tracking throughout time. So you're not going to have um, so a, a distance runner will generally have 
a little bit better from what I've seen in their um, horizontal, their vertical jumps usually are quite poor. They just haven't haven't learnt that skill over time. Whereas, um, yeah, it also is different being that it's a a three-hop test. So you've got stretch-shortening cycle working quite well. So those dynamic athletes tend to to go pretty well on, on that test and maybe not as well on the vertical at times. So we don't have a ratio specifically, more individual look at basis to basis. Yeah, right. And then we, we talked about tracking. How often would you be tracking these these athletes or trying, uh, to, tested, trying to monitor the, <laughs> these uh, variables? We tested um, every eight weeks. Yeah, cool. Cool. Really neat. Really neat. Interesting stuff there. Sam, what about yourself, mate? What are you doing there to assess strength and power? Yeah, good question. Um, again, my just approach just depends on the situation I'm at. With Eddie's, we've I might see 400 kids a week in a various situation. Um, most of them younger kids. So when you see at once class of 25 to 30 for 45 minutes, there's not really much ways of testing, you know, the strength apart from all right. Let's just watch them do it kind of thing. Um, and I think as well when testing is great and if if you can do it, but if it's taken when you've got such little time to really uh, put into it. Is it really worth your time? Possibly not with that group. And again, like with a grade seven kid, you time the squat twenty times. It's probably going to improve with a good coaching very, very well. With the older boys, um, so more first rugby, open basketball, we keep it pretty simple. Um, we've got bench pulls. Uh, we've got a fair lot of barbells at our facility, um, so we just do a pretty standard bench pull, bench press, uh, squat, or trap bar, depending on what they can do, where they're at. Um, in terms of power testing, again, we're quite limited. Um, more so because we could have 40 kids in the gym and just myself and a coach and the coach doesn't really know about that. Just to keep quality control and thing, we'll just do a counter movement jump for power. Um, and hopefully, um, depending on where they are, weight goes up, power goes up, or weight goes their weight goes down, body weight, and the power goes up, sorry, um, or jump height, however it's expressed. And we just kind of track that over the course of, a, of our preseason, whether that's six months, three months, whatever. I'll probably try and test it every every month to six weeks just depends on working around term times um often you may only get six to eight weeks with your grade 12s because they might pop in and pop out from exams and so really you've only got six to eight and if you you've only got 16 sessions maybe um wasting three or four sessions not wasting but using three or four as a testing session can can, uh, you can lose a bit what you can achieve so i try and keep it as fluid and built in the program as possible um, with the netball girls, same kind of thing. We had a weird gym that didn't really have that much, so we just kept it simple again. Bench press, shoot up, squat, and kept, and then just a counter movement jump or a vert jump made it pretty simple. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a really good point there. I, I'm, I'm of the philosophy, and this is just myself personally, but I don't, I don't like testing for testing's sake, and I much prefer just to monitor how the guys are going or the girls are going, and then from there evaluate it once a quarter based on some numbers maybe use some 1rm projections or maybe we're doing some stuff with jump mats or jump distances but i just record as much as possible and then just make decisions off that because you never know if somebody walks in on a day and they've had a bad day the night the day before or they've had a bad night's sleep or or you just don't know if that testing day is a true reflection of what's actually happening um just for for my philosophy so I, i think that's a really good point and you can get caught up especially if you're in a time-poor environment like your sort of semi-pro or high school with trying to do all these tests when 
maybe it's just better off training them and kind of evaluating them as they're going on. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we had that with our netball girls. Literally this week, uh, we came off the last round of the season um, on Sunday. We had we had the only team that trains Monday, Wednesday. And we have to get our testing done for the end of the season tests as, as stipulated by the governing body. So we were at yo-yo scores. We were the coach and I were sitting down like, well, this probably isn't going to be a fair indication of where we're at. Luckily, though, we tested about six weeks prior. So, you know, we had like, okay, this might be where they're relatively at. Um, and, you know, I can work back on that. So that's a really powerful method. Um, as long as you're knowing and accessing where your athletes are, that's the whole point of monitoring, I think, to make sure you know your athletes, what they can achieve and what's reasonably expected or expectable anyway. No, mate, really good point. Really good point there. Kurt, what about yourself? How are we assessing strength and power? Uh, changes on every sport I work with because I actually get different resources depending on the club, the athlete as well. So um, as an example, with the rugby league women this year, um, I didn't really assess their strength until about uh, three months in because we had a squad where we had uh, three Australian players in the same squad as uh, I think five people who had just started playing rugby league and uh, a couple of those have never done weights before. So we just kind of worked around a three-month period and then we actually had a testing day and to try and get everyone behind them and a squad and support each other. And in that environment, uh, I found... Um, getting the different levels in in athlete to come together for a testing day was really worthwhile because it gives that self-confidence and the boost behind them as well. Uh, but with my individual athletes that I work with, I'll integrate testing into your strength sessions. So uh, every uh, month or two months, we'll end up doing a max day, which it'll be max relative to the exercise at the time, not a specific, it's got to be a back squat this time, that time. Uh, so you just get an indication of where they're at roughly. Uh, and then sometimes uh, if I've got uh, access to certain things, uh, like I guess because I work at a university, I can use force plate data for some things, uh, jump mats for others. And I, I helped uh, Ipswich Jets netball uh, with some testing. So we finished our uh, testing yesterday, which we used uh, isometric mid-thigh pull. We did some counter-movement jumps, squat jumps, uh, and in-body scans for the netball girls. So we got lucky with some resources because teaming up with USQ, some squads are different. So it changes depending on who I'm working with. Um, but I, I like with squads to get a testing session uh, couple either a couple weeks in initially or a couple months in depending on the different levels of experience and then I, I won't really test them very often i'll do one big testing day and then after that we kind of test uh in accordance with where we're going with the strength so if it's uh, a regular block of strength training they'll just be going a, a nine to ten out of ten for that day and then you've got an estimate of if it's going to be a one rm or three rm and you can kind of go from there so similar to what you're saying and how you like uh, that kind of method that's similar to what I do. Uh, and if I have no resources at all, if I have uh, so, uh, some tennis athletes I work with, I don't have any strength equipment at all, that's when I'll do purely uh, body weight work where I'm uh, looking at horizontal jumping uh, versus uh, so your broad jumps versus uh, your bounding as well. And so I'll kind of compare those in regards to what I feel is their weakness because uh, – 
from what I've seen, if you've got a long broad jump, but your five consecutive jumps is poor relative to your broad jump, uh, then you want to work on a bit more plyometric work. But if you've got a small broad jump, but you're able to uh, use the elasticity to get longer jumps each time, then you've got good capability as an athlete, but you maybe need to work on strength a bit more. So uh, it does change depending on who I work with, what resources I have with what team. Uh, yeah, so there's so many different ways I, I work in that sense. Mm, interesting. Give us an example. You, you kind of uh, gave us an example of tennis. What yep. other tests do you use with tennis besides the sort of broad jump and a, and a, and a penta jump or a five jump? And then uh, any other tests you use with them? And then pick another sport and tell us the tests you use with the other sport. Okay, yep. So, uh, so I spoke about the broad jumps with tennis already. Uh, I'll also use some uh, basic speed tests. So uh, your basic T test uh, works all right with tennis. Um, but I also use, it's just simple up to service line, back, and then up to net back for some speed testing. Um, really simple test, uh, and then you create that into a repeat sprintability test. Uh, so you've got basic speed, and then you'll do it with repetitions. So you, then you've got a, uh, I guess, a depreciation uh, of speed, so you can see where they're at as well. Because as you know, what, what, what's the what's the sets. what's the sort of so you're going to go there and back? How long do you have between reps, and how many reps do you do with that test? Uh, so twenty seconds rest each time, uh, and eight times. Oh, wow. Um, so, because tennis players get a maximum 20 seconds before they're meant to play the next point. So, I kept it at 20 seconds. Um, but the up and back sprint for service line and uh, net will be anywhere between um, five to uh, eight seconds. So, depending on who the athlete is, if it's a junior, if it's a senior. Um, and then you'll get a depreciation from there. Mm. And then, uh, say, another sport, uh, if I look at uh, rowing, um, I stuck with uh, 5RM bench pull, uh, 5RM uh, front squat rather than back squat. Uh, if the athlete, because uh, I've worked with a few rows in the past, if the athlete is not capable with front squat, I'll just stick with a back squat. Um, but I do like a quad dominant squat rather than a, um, a back squat. Uh, and then I'll also uh, stick with just a bench and a dead as well. So just a simple four big lifts uh, for the rower. And then we use four, five RMs um, because I found with sports such as rowing, if you look at one RMs or three RMs, they can pull real quickly on one or two, uh, but it's their endurance that matters in that five RM. And, and once you start working that five RM a bit, they seem to uh, start to become a little bit more strength endurance dominant. Mm, it's a really good point. Like I've, I've seen data where there's like rowers have, at 90% of the 1RM have pulled like sort of 15 reps, you know what I mean? Um, or been able to yeah. complete 15 reps plus. So it's a, it's a yeah. whereas normally you'd expect maybe around there doing around three reps. So it's, it's a really good, uh, really good point you make. Maybe for those endurance sports, the 5RMs are a bit more applicable than an out-and-out 1RM. Really good point. Like, like an example with a, within session, uh, I guess, exercise that I did recently, uh, the rowers bench pull max was a 62.5 kilos. Um, yet we did a, a block of exercises, which was 20 sets. Uh, it's pretty heavily loaded, this one. Uh, 20 sets, they had to do three reps at 50 to 55 kilos. They get 15 seconds rest. And it's uh, once they've completed all 20 sets, then they get a minute's rest and they have to do 20 reps 
taking only five kilos off uh, continuous. And yeah. so that's, that's between the 70 to 85% and they can just smash that out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very impressive. Coming back to this repeated sprint test used with tennis, what, uh, what's a good decay rate? What would you look for over those eight reps? Um, so over those eight reps, uh, I'd relate it back to their max sprint. So rather than just say, here's a depreciation, uh, I've got to relate it to their max sprint because if their max speed test is uh, poor, then and their decay isn't, uh, I guess, very large, then they might just be be able to just keep on going at a low intensity. Um, whereas if they've got, I um, say, if again, if they've got a low speed initially, and then they've also got a high decay rate, then again, you want to work on that max speed initially, but you've also got endurance. But then um, you can look at someone who's really fast and they've got a massive decay rate. So it is really individual. Um, I don't really have a percent I work off. Uh, I look at where your max, uh, max speed is at and uh, I guess usually I'll, I'll just see if um, if they're decaying, like I said, not a percentage, but uh, by about between 0.3 and 0.5 seconds at all on average. Okay. So which can be uh, quite big at times uh, depending on who they are. Juniors will decay a lot quicker than seniors will. Yeah, right. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you. All, all those tests that all three of you mentioned are great examples of just practical things you can be doing with athletes when you don't need a, uh, you don't need force plates or you don't need uh, a lot of equipment to do. You probably just need a barbell and, and some plates and, and then also some tape measures or some, some stopwatches or maybe some lights. I don't know, Kurt, if you're using lights uh, with your sort of repeated sprint test. No, I'll, I'll use a, uh, just a timer. So. Mm -hmm. I've got access to lights at times, but for, for these kids um, and uh, these athletes, I'll, I'll just use a hand timer. All right, cool. Cool. So now we've assessed them. How then do you program for them? What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on programming that you've used in a, in a previous season? And even if you can give an example, I'll start with you, Nicola, again, example of how you program for somebody. Um, in that type of environment, what have you used? What what does the days look like? Say Monday to Saturday, and then what have you kind of done on on each of those days? If they've come three days a week or four days a week. All right. So to start with, uh, the most other than men's rugby at Sydney Uni, majority of our athletes are two to three times a week. Um, they just with with their load of sport, uh, they they don't have time for much more than three times, unfortunately, with their uni load and, and their sport. But in terms of programming, um, generally we will look at what they've done in their testing and what phase they're in, obviously dependent on uh, if they're in, in comp phase or in their off-season, for example. But we try and do some form of power in every phase, even if it's really, really low level in the off season to make sure that they keep that skill. And then strength wise, we go the whole way through. Um, I'll use athletics again, cause I use that example in the testing. We, we do a lot of work in the strength, in their, their squats, deadlifts and RDLs. There are three, oh, sorry. And our, um, uh, yeah, there are three key strength metrics in our, I mainly have runners, so in our running sports. 
And then in power base, uh, our advanced lifters are doing cleans and snatches and jerks. And we've got to the point where everyone bar the very new, we had about three new girls. The rest of them were all um, at the level of being able to competently do cleans and then using medicine ball work, plyometrics and and low-level jumping as well uh, for power and basically just integrating all of those in throughout their their sessions um, and then just decreasing volume, increasing speed um, as they move towards in-season. Yeah, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So tell us about a week. Say we've got an in-season week. What would it look like? What were they doing on Monday or what were they doing on the, on those three days you mentioned? Uh, okay, so for example, we'd go usually most of our athletes would clean day one. Um, sorry. No, snatch day one. Um, Sorry, it's been, it's been a while since in-season. Uh, so it's that usually snatch day one and then often with that would do some form of either a squat or a unilateral exercise. So if they were doing a squat, they'd in-season be doing either a quarter or a pin squat. Um, so minimising... Uh, that range has really good transfer to athletics, as you would know. And then day two, and then usually that would um, also have some medicine ball work and um, usually a vertical plyo. Uh, Day two would usually be focused around their RDL. Um, Moving, we usually stay with RDL in season. Um, That's, it's just been shown for the guys I've worked with to be really beneficial. Um, RDL, usually some horizontal plyometrics, um, various bounding or single leg hopping um, most commonly, um, and then some more unilateral work and core. And then day three would be clean, would be the focus, um, and either – mainly combined with um, uh, medicine ball work or some more plyometrics like a depth jump. Um, and then, yeah, any um, any mobility, any additional exercises that targeted individually. So that's kind of how the, the week would generally work for the, um, the more advanced guys in, in the university sector. Yeah, great, great. I love the medicine ball work. I absolutely love it. You give me medicine balls and like maybe a weight vest and I reckon I wouldn't need to set foot inside a gym for like three years <laughs> with a guy. But you can do so much stuff with them and it, it's such yeah, a great way absolutely. of... Oh, sorry, sorry, Nicola. <laughs> All I was saying, they're absolutely fantastic. The medicine balls make such a difference. Uh, I love it for power. Mm-hmm. A really nice fit on that sort of force velocity... Uh, curve that everyone talks about sam what what are you doing example of your programming in your in your previous season like what are you doing maybe these netball girls you talked about what are they doing during the week how many sessions do they yeah. do and then, and then what are they going to be doing yeah cool so we've probably got a really nice example of the difficulty of semi, of semi pro here that probably kurt will take on later on um the way our, our comp works is 
so we train Monday, Wednesday on court, and then so we've got to we prioritise. We we needed the gym. We figured between the coach and myself and testing, we figured out these girls need to do gym. So we asked the girls, when's the best time uh, for you guys that I can get as much of you in to do a gym session together as a squad, and then what can we do? So more or less, we came out Tuesday morning was the best time to do it. Um, which doesn't bode well. We train from 6 to 8.30, 9 o'clock on a Monday night, and then gyms at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. Now, that's not ideal in any sense of the word. Um, so I've had to be careful of, like, you know, what can we do on that morning? Um, because the fatigue's there and the tiredness is there. And physically, and depending on how hard the session was the night before, and often we play games on Sunday as well, so that might be the third day in a row, and we train on Wednesday as well. That's pretty tough to do um, for some of these guys, particularly if, you know, this is their first year in it. A fully structured program like this, um, so the younger girls have struggled a bit. So we kind of, I kept it really simple. Um, at the start of the season, we just made it okay. I had no idea about these girls, um, limited access to them. So all right, let's let's just keep it simple. Start with our really basic movements: so squatting, hinging. Um, of course, in that ball, you've got the big predominance of knee injuries. So making sure hammies, hips are strong, things like that. So most of the programming resolved around okay. Let's learn to squat and squat you know, body weight plus as well. Um, RDLing a lot. Nordics became a pretty big part of it. Because um, the girls, they found it a bit of a point of pride. How long, how, how can they go with Nordics? And some of those taller girls, you know, six foot plus, for them to go down for a full Nordic um, is a pretty mean feat. So most of the programming was super simple. So the way I generally structured the session was um, a 1A, 1B. So the main lift of the, the session, it might have been a squat, might have been a rack pull. Uh, for the girls that are still learning as well, that were really, really beginner, they might have just done a barbell glute thrust. I find that's a nice, easy one, just to throw in nice and early. Um, so it's pretty easy to do, hard to stuff up. And they can still get a fair bit of weight through themselves once they get used to that movement. And they do some sort of plyometric. At the start of the year, it was just learning to land because I had no idea where anyone was. So we just started on two-leg lands, progression of one legs, and then a bit of reactive stuff and going from there. Um, and then it would be... An accessory, so a single leg squat, a Bulgarian, a split squat if they're at that level, and some sort of hip-based one, so an RDL, single leg RDL. And that just got progressed and progressed. So the girls might have started with two leg, then gone to one leg and started really overloading the two leg movement. And then it might be in another single leg or maybe an upper body type one on the first day um, if they needed that. Then a couple of exercises, so like power press, I'm quite big on that initially, and then progressing to the more dynamic alternatives. And the second day, was more of an upper body day because I found by then they were pretty well cooked um, for the week. Um, their legs are pretty well run off, um, particularly in pre-season. So we've gone more upper body focus. So we were 1A, 1B was a, a horizontal, uh, maybe a bench press and a chin-up, something like that. So your typical, not rugby-style programming, but more of that really easy style. And as well, I had to remember I wasn't there to actually coach it for most of these girls. So I had to keep it nice and easy. Then we go to, again, whatever single limit we did, this maybe Bulgarian and maybe a Swiss ball hamstring curl or maybe that Nordic on the day. And then again, a little bit more pulling, I found, because they, they constantly, a lot of shoulder throwing. I didn't realize the netball when I first started. They do a lot of overhead passing. So just doing a vertical or horizontal pull and then a couple of ab movements, anti-rotation, maybe a bit of rotation, maybe some landmine twist, things like that, and just kind of progressing from there. So that's kind of an example of the way I press and just kind of progress. And now they're at a pretty good level where, Probably next season we start looking at some Olympic derivatives maybe a bit earlier possibly rather than just some loaded jumps where we're at right now. Mm, cool. Cool. Great description. Great description. Sounds like you're running, running a wonderful program there. Um, <laughs> despite despite, despite uh, obvious, obvious limitations, 
and the, and the access you get to get to the athletes. That's really good. Uh, Thanks, Kurt, Kurt, tell us about what, what you've got going on with, with your programming. Uh, again, it's one of those things changes every sport. Uh, so with the rugby league girls, uh, I actually generally I'll try and keep it if I've got access to a gym or I'm actually strength training in a gym. I try and keep it at uh, five a block of five exercises. And what I mean by block is uh, if we're keeping it simple, it'll just be five exercises in a session. Uh, if they're a little bit more advanced and we're adding a bit more power work in, we might contrast load it. So we might have a, a couple of supersets um, where the first couple exercises might have a, a power set um, loaded straight after, and then you'll stick to your basics after that. So uh, we keep I keep uh, pretty limited on the amount of exercise per session. Uh, so uh, say when I started at the start of the season, we went really basic. Uh, I always stick with generally a push, a pull in the lower body. Uh, so it would be an RDL or uh, a front squat. I'm, I'm a big fan of front squats. Uh, then we'll go a, uh, a vertical pull and a horizontal push in the same session and then a exercise for the torso or, um, or the hip. And then second session in a week, uh, I'll do a similar thing except then I'll move on to horizontal push um, and uh, sorry, um, uh, vertical push, horizontal pull. Uh, and then I'll just change the uh, push and pull for the lower body uh, where it'll be uh, mainly a single leg exercise on the second day uh, for the rugby league girls. And I change between uh, for the pull exercises uh, at the knee versus at the hip as well. So you're working both ends of uh, the hamstring and, uh, or glute. Uh, with other squads such as tennis where I've got no strength equipment, then I'm working purely on body weight or what I'll use is a playground that we have uh, right next to the tennis courts and that's where we uh, base our exercises on uh, a couple of things. Uh, we do a lot of landing work with tennis uh, off the playground, so a lot of depth landing. Uh, they, we obviously start really simple and, and build to that, but we're a couple of years in now, so we do a lot of that work. Uh, and we'll always start with uh, real basic exercises like uh, squats or Bulgarian split squats and then progress to the depth um, uh, landing and then we'll progress to jumps, so a bit of plyometric work, and then we'll actually move on to uh, some timed endurance work over 30-second efforts or 45-second efforts uh, to build their... Uh, just capacity in that sense, um, under load. And that, that'll be two sessions a week. And then we move on to conditioning because you've got a total hour for them for conditioning and strength. Mm, cool, cool. So there's cool. some examples um, if you want to do more on that as well. That that's all, that actually brings up my next segue into into what I wanted to ask you guys next is how do you kind of factor in the conditioning with the strength? What considerations do you have around uh, when you're going to do conditioning compared to when you're going to do strength training. And we'll start with you, Nicola, please. So, again, I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record. It, it depends on the sport and the athletes you've got and how it runs. So, for example, um, the previous season uh, with the soccer girls, the only way to do gym was to do it directly after their, their field session. There was no other options. So... 
you are really constrained by what you're given. Um, so for them, the main the main elements we we do our normal uh, MAS and small sided games on the Tuesday night, and then they'd come into the gym, and we'd get maybe two key lifts and just for them as new athletes into the gym, making sure that they have good movement competencies and some injury prevention. And that was the the best we could do with. Um, and then other sports, uh, how we ran, our elite athletes could come in at different times and it would be dependent on their sport coaching and their university timetable and to when they would come to us. So we didn't always get much choice in going, oh, okay, you'll condition at this time and then you'll gym at this time and, and have a really good set timetable. So there is no contraindications but um, and no clashes. Uh, so we were just working the best with, with what we could do and trying to make sure that the athletes would get some transfer out of what they're doing and some injury prevention. Yeah, cool, cool. You can't sit on two horses at the same time, is the old saying, and it's it's really hard if you if you well you you maybe you can, but it's really hard if if you're trying to ride them both at the same time in the in the conditioning and the strength. Um, Sam, yeah, um, Nick always hit the point hit the nail on the head there. Like you know, you just it really depends. I think understanding your limitations and what you possibly can achieve. Um, in that situation is really, really important. Um, I know I've had a few, I've had a few kind of conversations with coaches about, you know, what can we feasibly expect to get out of, because we're so congested, maybe if we go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, there's going to be some repercussions there somewhere. And I think it's well about communicating to athletes. Now, I've got this weight on the program and saying, I would like you to hit this weight tomorrow morning, but if you're really sore and your warm-up set that's 25 kilos lighter felt super heavy, it's okay to take that down. Um, and it's quite important to educate, I think, your athletes and say, yeah, you're not going to always get to hit everything. You're going to have fluctuations. Just try and really make it work for you. This is, And just letting know what you're trying to look for, I think, as well. I try and put on my programs, what am I looking for in this program? And if they can have that understanding of, okay, I want, or he wants to try and get me a bit faster. So we're trying to move faster with the weights. Um, that kind of helps alleviate that in a certain way. Um, but again, you know, if you run the biggest MAS session like, and they're absolutely cooked for the night before, your speed work the next morning or your power work in the gym is probably going to be crap. So just being a bit smarter about where you can be. So I know with netball, having those times, if I knew I was going hard for that Monday because I didn't have a Wednesday slot to do it in the conditioning, I'd probably try and say to the girls, all right, the program looks like this tomorrow. Maybe just back your weights up a little bit or if you're feeling bad, if you can maybe get that lift in on your day two or maybe make your day two a bit longer or if you can maybe go on, on Saturday or Friday night, whatever you can do there kind of thing. I think just making sure, particularly in semi-pro land, if your athletes know what you're trying to expect and your coaches as well and moderating expectations in that regard, you'll probably go okay. But again, smart programming always goes a long way to helping that as well. Mm, for sure for sure and i really like that idea of like not being uh, set in stone about what day you're going to do things with a with a semi-pro athlete sometimes you got to because that's just the, the way it is but maybe if they've got like uh, a sad day spare or a, or a, you, you've got a session program for them on wednesday but they've had a really hard session on the tuesday and that wednesday session is going to be down the drain potentially or not down the drain but severely impacted 
maybe they can push it to Thursday or or vice versa. A really good, really yeah. good idea. Bang on, Kurt. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna um, use a couple new examples from a few people I've worked with in the past, but um, and one I kind of still do work with a little bit. So uh, one of them is a, um, a boxer because I worked with a few boxers, and uh, that's a really interesting one because. Uh, pretty much the coaches will control a lot of the conditioning and sometimes then they'll ask you to do a conditioning session uh, or um, you roughly know what they're going to do on that day uh, and then suddenly when they turn up for the strength session the next day, it's been completely different. Um, so you technically have to modify on the go. Um, uh, I sat one day, I told the coaches, I said, oh, we're doing a strength testing session this day. Um, they're all on board with that. Uh, the boxers rocked up the next morning and they were complaining about being so sore in the legs because they were made to 200-plus jump squats. Uh, so you, you couldn't really do testing then um, as an example. And, and that's that happens uh, here and there uh, where they just decide they want to change the session uh, and then we kind of have to go with that and they become a lot better at that. Uh, so it is a little bit about you can try and set up your session as much as you want, uh, but a lot of it's on the run. Um, when I worked with hockey, uh, this was a bit of an interesting one because we had up to five divisions uh, training at the same time, so Div 1 to Div 5, and the Div 1 girls didn't like to show up because uh, they would still make the team. And so... There was no repercussions because nobody else wanted to play up in Div 1. Um, so the conditioning session actually became a game session, so they would actually turn up to training. So they were conditioning games and some were just other games, like playing ultimate uh, Frisbee. So uh, so it really depends on, again, we're all saying it depends, but on what kind of situation you have. And with the, with the rugby league girls this year, I had uh, an hour. Uh, most days, but then it dropped to about 45 minutes that I had to do a strength and conditioning session. Um, so in season, we end up just doing strength one day and then conditioning on another day. And then they'll train straight after that. And because of families, uh, because of the coach only being able to get down to, uh, to training at a certain time, that was 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the evening. And then they train from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Uh, because the coach drove from Sunshine Coast to Brisbane uh, every time after he finished uh, news presentations because he was a news presenter. So uh, there, was, there were so many situations with what I work with and, and you kind of just n nearly just work with the, the cards you've been dealt um, to a certain extent. Mm, for you sure. do have a bit more control in some situations, but you have a little less in others. 100%, 100%. And it's not, it's not like people that do do conditioning before they do strength aren't going to get any stronger with an appropriate program you just have to be aware of it and and uh and and know how how you might set things up or how you might adapt things based on that this is my opinion anyway exactly right and with uh i'll just expand that a little bit more um when i worked with seth logan magpies uh we had uh, a couple of different groups we had uh three different groups and you'll have strength conditioning and skills and they'll all rotate um, and basically you change the rotation in regards to uh, who did which one each time. 
So that way they just get a bit of all-round difference in where they start strength and conditioning. And um, because you had a, a group that was the fast group uh, or the fit group, then you had the group which was the, the slow group and the unconditioned group, you can kind of get a better idea of uh, where you're going to sit with conditioning versus strength in that se- um, sector as well. For sure, for sure, for sure. Great points, great points, all of you. Next question I'm going to throw at you. What are you most excited to explore or trial or implement or develop in yourselves in regards to strength and power in the next sort of 12 months? Uh, For me, it's mostly trying to explore how to get the best out of um, my new program uh, with the rowers and strength and power and see how the strength and power relates with their heavily endurance-focused athletes and, and how we can get the best out of them involving strength and power. Cool. 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 Any, any, uh, any things you're going to do? Like, are you going to do some fancy deadlifts or something like that? Or are you going to do some, some supersonic rowing tests? Like what, what, what are you excited about <laughs> actually working with them? Well, being two weeks in uh, and not being the head um, S and C, I I'm being led at the moment and seeing how things are being done. So I need to settle in a little bit more and, and I'll have a better answer for you in a, in a couple of months. <laughs> all right. All right. So, yeah, cool. All right, Sam, what about yourself? Yeah, good question. Um, I've probably got a few things. Uh, with the Eddies boys, I've, got a, I've, had a, I've been there three years now, so I've had a, a nice group of younger kids come along and they're pretty advanced for their age. So just starting to have a play with that force velocity curve and kind of going, well, all right. They can, they can move well now. Um, so, you know, what can we do at the higher end and what can we do at the lower end? Uh, I've been pretty big with them on medicine ball so far. Um, and then, you know, where can we produce force from, from an isometric start, from a, you know, from a plyometric start kind of thing and just kind of playing around with that. And then um, with the netball girls, you know, I've really seen the first year of this, of this program come through. Uh, been pretty lucky in terms of injury wise, but I think, well, how can, how can we improve in injury wise? I think a lot of it a lot lies in the isometric and eccentric side. You know, what can, we've seen what Nordics can do with the research, and that's just one exercise. But you know, particularly shin splints um, and foot issues. Um, you know, what can we do there? And I think isometrics and eccentrics might have a pretty big role into how we can help, not maybe not prevent, but reduce the severity and maybe the length of those injuries. So I wouldn't mind having a play around there and seeing what what we can do. Yeah, cool. So, what what are you gonna what are you thinking there? Some isometrics and eccentrics for both plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. What what, yeah. what are you thinking? Yeah, that's more or less it. Um, a lot of barefoot stuff too. Um, just trying to read more into that, and before I really uh, commit to too much. But I think just you know, learn that plantar flexion. I think as well with the the girls I have seen with the shin splints, they tend to be those chronic overstriders, and whilst you know you can change movement patterns often on the netball court that can just go pretty quickly as soon as they're chasing that ball um but that eccentric force is something that's always there with the long strides i think you know if you can train that and be able to tolerate that much more i think that reaction may not happen as much so yeah just being out with that resisted eccentric whether it's a long eccentric hold whether it's an isometric hold and extended position things like that and just seeing where that fits into a program is that right at the start of the season is that a pre-season sorry is that middle pre-season is that in that last block just before we start playing a lot of matches type thing? or And how do we monitor that and maintain that over the course of the season? What's the proper load? So a bit of research to do in that regard in terms of what we actually do. But I think that's possibly the way to go about it, yeah. Mm, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Really interesting. 
especially for all the all those jumping athletes or all the uh, those court sport athletes. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Massive considerations around around the ankle and around sort of shin splints and the impacts and, and so on. Interesting, very I interesting. Mark McCain, I think uh, on the, on a recent podcast alluded to it a little bit with his swimming stuff, and now he, the, the Mark Stickle program that he was talking about. I think I took a bit of uh, information from that and thought maybe there's something intertwined with that and that's kind of set that kind of set that live eyeball well for me so i think yeah. uh mark was probably onto it first i think there with that late uh late stimulus in the week i think could be the way to go too yeah it's, it's pretty cool mark, mark was yeah for people that haven't listened to mark it's a really good one really good podcast especially if you're interested in swimming or court sports the other one that that also sort of sprang to mind there is justin keogh's uh who's a professor at bond we were talking about sort yeah. of the implementation of when you're going to do eccentric and when you're going to do concentric work in your season or in the in the prep phase. And we, we kind of discussed it, but and this is just uh, pure speculation, but having a sort of a uh, reverse pyramid for concentric work, e.g. in the middle of your preparation or the middle of your uh, middle of your training season, you're going to be doing less concentric uh, than you are at the mm-hmm. start and at the end, and then a pyramid for your eccentric work. So at the start and finish of your of your season, you're doing less eccentric work and in the middle of it, you're doing the most. Um, and yeah. that, that's another concept that, that really came to mind when you started speaking on, on what you wanted to put out there. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. Kurt, mate, yourself, you're at a university. It's, it's got to be easy to do some self-development at a university, right? Uh, yes and no. Um, it really depends. Um, but... I guess I've played around with so many different things. Um, I've always tried to kind of uh, look into more things, try new things all the time. So it's actually, it is actually a really hard question to answer. Um, that's one thing I guess I've been playing around with a little bit, which I, I want to explore a little bit more is, um, is force expression uh, versus max strength. Um, so, and even also reducing, uh, I guess your, your sets in regards to those weights. So it'll be a, a staircase set. So essentially like an 89, 80 kilos, one set, 90 kilos, next set, 100 kilos, next set, and you stop there and then build that way. Uh, it's, I've experimented a little bit already and found you're getting better force expression that way than if you're just doing top sets at, say, 90 kilos via three sets. Um, but as much as their max strength isn't increasing, seem to get a greater force expression so i'm interested in trying that a little bit more with a couple of different athletes and seeing if that uh translates to on court on field um, on track performance um yeah so force expression versus max strength is one i'm really interested in just exploring a lot more yeah cool cool doesn't matter how much strength you have if you can't use it in a in your actual athletic environment unfortunately exactly right (laughs) All right, some wonderful information there. Before we go at the end of this episode, I've got to mention the ACA conference. There's some great presenters coming in, including the people that are on this roundtable. It's on the Gold Coast, 8th to 10th of November. There's some research. There's a tactical stream. So look, if you're a strength conditioning coach, a sports scientist, a student, a physiotherapist, a PE teacher, personal trainer, who knows, you want to be there, all right? I've also got to mention Val Performance again. Great support of the ASCA and this podcast. They'll be at the ASCA conference guaranteed, so please go up to them and say we appreciate you sponsoring the podcast. It helps us out a lot. And if you're interested in any of their products, remember, check them out, valperformance.com. 
So we've got to go. We'll have more from this roundtable next episode. We're going to talk energy systems next time. Be well with your time. So until you hear from me next, I'm Joseph Coyne. This is the ASAP Podcast. <laughs>